This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. For a full year, we're looking at the life, teachings, and works of Jesus from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Ben, last week we looked at Luke chapter 7 when Jesus healed a centurion's servant who was near death, and when he raised to life a widow's son who was beyond death. So some pretty powerful things were happening. You'd think that just the working of miracles alone would get people to believe in Jesus. We're going to dip into that topic just a little bit today. Today, we're going to continue in Luke chapter 7 and go into Luke chapter 8 just a bit. And we'll look at how Jesus describes the identity of John the Baptist and the identity of himself. And really some of what probably for that day would have been the unusual company that Jesus kept, Mm. the people he ministered with and traveled with, the unusual people that were part of that. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 7, verse 18. And it says, John's disciples, that's John the Baptist's disciples, told John about all these things. These things would have been Jesus healing the centurion's servant and the widow's son. Calling Two of them, two of his disciples, John the Baptist, sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? You know, this question surprises me, Ben, because I always had this feeling like when John was baptizing and saying, I'll become less and he'll become greater and I'm not worthy to untie your sandals and baptized him and the voice cracked from heaven, this is my beloved son, yet John still doesn't fully seem to get it. What do you think's happening here? I think with John, he's he's been in prison probably for months at this point, and I think he's he's looking uh, for reassurance in the midst of uh, in the midst of suffering and and persecution, Uh, maybe questioning what's going on here as he is a languishing at the moment in prison. And so I think that's what compels the, the question, you know, as, as we endure and as we, uh, as we uh, endure suffering and brokenness throughout life, there, there are going to be moments when these, when these questions uh, come up in our own lives. You know, we see it throughout the Psalms, you know, through the, throughout the Psalms, we see the Psalmist, whether it's David or another Psalmist, you know, crying out to the Lord, how long, O Lord, uh, in the midst of their suffering, uh, giving lament in the midst of uh, the world's brokenness. And so I think that's part of what we see here uh, with John, is that he's been imprisoned, he's suffering, uh, he's kind of languishing uh, there a bit, and he wants, uh, he's feeling this this need, this desire uh, for assurance in the presence of uh, his suffering. Yeah, so these disciples of John show up and they ask Jesus the question, are, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And it says in verse 21, where Luke 7, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. We don't have the individual stories. There were a lot of people that Jesus touched. So Jesus replied to the messengers of John, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, 
and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. You know, that should have done it in my mind. Like if you, if you got somebody claiming to be the son of God and he's doing all of that, don't you think like everybody should have said, I'm on board. I'm like, I'm in even the religious leaders, like all of them, like this guy's, this guy's doing what no one else can do. Why the hesitancy? I, I think when we look at the religious leaders and those who continue to reject Christ, they're ultimately blinded by uh, self-righteousness and existent belief. You know, they've, they've got their beliefs. They hold to their beliefs. They're unwilling to be challenged uh, in their, their current beliefs. And so they find a, a rationale for not believing in Christ. And so for many of the religious leaders, you know, he's, he's doing this by, you know, by Satan's hand, ultimately attributing Jesus's work uh, to Satan himself. And so I think that's part and parcel of why they are, uh, why they're so resistant to Christ and to the work that he's doing is that, uh, is that they are locked solid in their existing beliefs. And then also for a lot of the religious leaders, I mean, Jesus was a threat to their own authority. You know, he's calling into question. I mean, th- throughout the Sermon on the Mount, one, one of the things he does is he calls into question their interpretation of Old Testament law. And so he's persistently, uh, he's persistently engaged uh, with them, uh, calling into question their authority, their understanding of Scripture, uh, even their perception of who the Messiah would be, and they're so locked in their self-righteousness, they can't hear the Word of God coming through him. Yeah, so exactly what you're saying is, is lifted up in verse 29, if we kind of move to the end of this, this passage, and it says, all the people, even the tax collectors, because <gasps> yeah. they were Jews who worked for the Roman government, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right. And then there's this weird phrase, because they had been baptized by John, John the Baptist. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and the experts in the law, the teachers of the law, the scribes, rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. That's a it's an interesting phrase to be there, that, that one, one group of people, that sort of the outcasts, believed Jesus and the religious elite did not believe Jesus that because they either had or had not been baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, now John the Baptist, you know, had a particular kind of baptism. So what what's what do you think Luke's getting at with this whether or not somebody was baptized by John as whether or not they believe Jesus? Well John was the one who, you know, uh, as scripture tells us, um, he was the one who prepared the way and calling people to repentance uh, and calling people uh, out of their life of, of sin, um, that their hearts would be turned back uh, to God. And so, so you think like this, this act of repentance, baptized for repentance, did something in their hearts? Yeah, from the standpoint of preparing the way for Christ and, and making them sensitive to the coming of, of the Messiah— Yes. And the Pharisees watched these baptisms with arms crossed. Right. And said, who's this guy to be doing this? Right. And so they had never had that heart change. Yeah. They had resisted, maybe. 
Yeah. That could be what's going on. Then it goes on in verse 33, Jesus still speaking, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. <laughs> we, had a, we had a weird diet, remember? And you say, he has a demon. This guy's crazy. Referring to himself, Jesus says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and all you can say is he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. This, this Jesus is repeating what the word on the street is, that Jesus hangs out with the wrong kind of people. He kept company with <gasps> tax collectors. Mm-hmm and sinners. This is carried forth in the very next verse when Jesus is anointed. Now, there are two or three anointing stories in the Gospels, times when Jesus was anointed, and they all have slight differences, and they have some overlap. Whether it happened one, two, or three times, I'm going to tell you, I really don't know. I take it that it happened at least twice, probably three times. And in this particular case, in Luke 7, Luke seven thirty six. it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. I, I stopped there for a moment because just, just a moment ago, he said that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees rejected all of this. And yet, here's a Pharisee saying, hey, Jesus, come on over. I'm going to cook you up some grub. Like, what's, go- what's going on with this that's happening. Hey, some of the Pharisees were curious, you know, I mean, we, we, uh, you know, weeks, weeks back, uh, talked about Nicodemus and him approaching, uh, Jesus. And so, uh, you know, it's part of what I think we see here. There is a curiosity among some of the Pharisees. And I think maybe it wasn't always contentious all the time, right? Because the Pharisees loved to learn and ask questions and you, you answered a question with a question and they, they wanted to, to hear more about what Jesus was saying, or maybe they had a, an ulterior motive, I don't know. So one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, maybe a prostitute, doesn't say really in, in here, I don't believe, but she lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there. I don't know if she knocked on the door or not. She just showed up with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She was broken to tears in the presence of Jesus, and she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. You know, the feet are kind of a kind of a private, at least in our culture. I mean, they wore sandals and they didn't sit at a table; they reclined, and so their feet weren't always like under the table and and so forth. Uh, uh, but you ever been part of a foot washing thing and? Yes, I have, and I will tell you that uh, culturally and, and because of my uh, feet in particular, which are odd, oddly, they're just odd. I've got finger toes, I'm flat-footed, I wear size 15. One time I was a part of a foot washing, 
and everybody's washing one another's feet in bowls, and then all of a sudden somebody brings out a huge Schaefer pan for Greenbaum's feet. <laughs> and so usually foot washing, uh, which again, I mean, it's an expression of humility and, and service, but but usually at some point in the midst of foot washing, somebody has a comment about Greenbaum's feet and finger toes. You know, I, there, sometimes I wish this were not a podcast. <laughs> we could actually, uh, well, nope. never, never mind. Not gonna. Yeah, happen. Nobody wants to see that, man. It, it's not gonna <laughs> happen. So this, I mean, for whatever reason, Jesus, I guess, didn't care that somebody was messing with his feet and crying on them, and and the tears were dripping all over his feet. And then she took her hair and she used that as a towel and wiped off the the wetness. And then she started kissing on his feet, which is at least. A, for me and our culture is very odd. And then she dumped this expensive perfume on his feet. It was, it had to be a moment in, in which she was recognizing Jesus for who he is, even coming out of her own brokenness, the reputation that she had in town. But the Pharisees, the host, didn't see it that way. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, trying to figure out who he is, if Jesus really were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Why did they have such a hard, hard time with people who weren't living a righteous life being around them, but Jesus didn't have a hard time with that. Yeah, I mean, they, the the Pharisees would have seen her uh, basically as corrupting them. Um, Just her presence uh, in the house uh, would have meant that a a cleansing needed to, needed to happen. And what's so grievous, this, this is one of those pieces of the narrative that is so incredibly uh, beautiful because we see uh, this woman who understands, I mean, she, she doesn't need a Pharisee or anybody else to tell her that she's a sinner. She sees herself through that lens. She recognizes her sin. She's not defensive about it. And instead, she's broken over it. She grieves her sin. She's looking for healing. She's looking for forgiveness. She's looking uh, for wholeness. And Jesus has, as, as we see here in a second, Jesus has compassion on her. Whereas the, the Pharisees have no compassion whatsoever, even to the degree that they can't even see the repentant heart that, that's on display here. And part of that, part of their hard-heartedness toward her is their own belief, ultimately, that they don't have anything to repent for. Mm. And so it's their, their lack of recognition of her grieving her sin their, their lack of recognition of her repentant heart or even recognizing that, um, if anything else, indicts their own hard-heartedness that they don't see themselves through, through the lens of, of having. They're, they're not the sinners. What do they have to repent for? They don't have anything to repent for. They're not the, the sinful. Uh, they're not the sinful others. Um, they're the righteous ones. And, uh, and it, it, they're so blinded by their own self-righteousness, they, they can't even, their hearts aren't even moved by her grief over her sinfulness. You know, in this Lenten season, 
when we're really confronted with preparing our hearts to know Jesus, we're really called to a season of repentance, aren't we? Yeah. And sometimes we, we might willingly and readily come before God and say, I don't deserve anything from you and and cry on his feet and kiss his feet, so to speak, and really acknowledge our our brokenness and our neediness before him. Or we have the, the choice to say, well, I'm sure glad I'm not like that person. Yep. And that's, um, that's a dangerous place to live. In fact, Jesus points that out in verse 44. He turned toward the woman, and as he's looking at the woman, he speaks to Simon, who's the Pharisee. He said, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not even do the customary things that someone did in their day. Give them water for their feet. Remember, they wore sandals and walked on uh, non-paved roads. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. Customary thing would have been to give you know, kisses on the cheek. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, another customary thing for a guest. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has already shown. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. That seems to be a jab right back at the Pharisee. And Jesus then said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She went, but I don't know that she left because in the very next verse, it's actually in Luke chapter 8. Because remember the chapters and verses weren't in in the original writing of Luke. So it goes to a new chapter, but it's the very next verse. After this, it says, Jesus traveled about from town, one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, the twelve disciples, the apostles. And also, here's this unusual company again, some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, maybe that woman among them including Mary, called the Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, or Chusa, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, the manager of Herod's household. So there's somebody who has like access to King Herod, Susanna, and many other women. These women were helping to support them, that is Jesus and the disciples. They traveled around, they needed food, they needed lodging, helping to support them out of their own means. Uh, you know, we, we see so many times, again, we've talked about this before, but Jesus walking around, and it's just the 12 with him. But that's not really the picture, is it? I mean, there's an entourage around him, including women. And it wasn't really culturally accepted for women to be part of an inner circle like this for a, a Jewish rabbi or, or even Jewish men who were in, in leadership. And Jesus continued to break down the barrier. So we saw last week where it was a Roman centurion. And here there are these women, some of whom had, had money, others who were, had, had a bad background. And it just didn't matter to Jesus, did it? Nope. No guilt by association. 
And so he is, uh, and we see, like we see with, you know, Mary Magdalene and, and others, uh, men and women, uh, we see these lives dramatically transformed as they have, as they have come to Christ, um, as they have, have sought forgiveness of sin, as Jesus has granted forgiveness of sin, what does it then compel? It doesn't compel a life of continued sinfulness. It compels a life that follows after Jesus Christ. And we see that physically on display here uh, through, uh, through not only the 12, but these women who are following Jesus. Wow, that's a powerful word. That's a good word to end on. I love that. Folks, if you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or find our church app, Fishers United Methodist Church app, and click on the Life of Jesus link. That will take you to more elements in this year-long study of the life of Jesus. Ben, uh, what's the final word you can send us off with today? The final word I could send us off with? It's been a good time. You know, one one of the things I do want to mention to anybody out there who might be listening, um, as questions arise every once in a while within the context of our church here at Fishers United Methodist Church in Fishers, Indiana, uh, some of our local congregants will send emails in response to a question they might have uh, that has come up in their own mind or heart in listening to one of the podcasts. I'd encourage you, if you have any questions, uh, Pastor Mark and myself want to make ourselves available uh, to you. And so you can go to the website at fishersumc.org. Is that the right website, Doug? I'm not sure why I for, have forgotten it, apparently. But you can go to our website at fishersumc.org and you will find uh, Pastor Mark and myself. You'll find our emails there. And if you have any questions that happen to come up uh, through the course of the podcast and you'd like to send those questions on, uh, we invite them. And that's all I got. Now your inbox is going to be chock full this coming week. Yeah, just, just make sure that the hard questions go to Ben. That's all I ask. <laughs> all right, folks, thanks for listening today. God bless you, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.